Okay, we're in official preaching time. Let's go to slide number three. Okay, Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So is the Lord really good? Can you just, can you really get a taste of what God is like through your own experience in this life, through all of the, even in the trials and the, the challenges, the in sickness and in health, all the battles that you got to go through because Jesus never promised that we wouldn't have battles. He never said that once you receive him as Lord that it's just smooth sailing from the, here on out. But does that change his goodness? So I don't think so. I know I'm hearing it already from you guys. Let's go to slide number four. So we're going to do a few quotes, but we will look at some scriptures too. So Bill Johnson says in his book, How to Overcome Disappointment. In all things, especially in the last few years, my initial response is, God, you are good every time, and I celebrate your goodness. That is the bedrock of theology for me. Bill Johnson has a worldwide impact. Bethel Church has made a worldwide impact through their ministry, and Bill specifically with his, his calling in life as an apostolic leader in the body of Christ, as well as in his church. And for him to say that the bedrock of his theology is the goodness of God says something. Now, that's, that's him. You know, you have to decide on your own and in your personal relationship with him just how good he really is in your experience and how your belief system is affected by how good he is. So he says that's the bedrock of theology for me. And from there, I watch how God takes the very weapon formed against me and turns it into my favor. That's a key. There is a key when we're going through the stuff, through the trials in life, when we hold fast the bedrock of our life, the foundation of our life, King Jesus, he is the rock of our salvation. And it's it's him and it's his, his nature, his goodness that we want to stand firm on. And Bill says it's that aspect of his nature. You know, how many of you know that, that the nature of God, the character of God is multifaceted? You know, he's good. He's, he's the fruit of the spirit. That's a good example right there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And it's just... That's just several facets of like a gem, you know, of our God. He just turns slightly and you see another side of his face that just blows you away. But his goodness, his goodness, God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's go on to the next one. The message we declare, okay, so this is you, this is me. I've got my own message. You have your own message. Your life is your message. The message we declare defines the reality we are going to live in. What you say defines your reality. I don't know how, how passionate or how strong you guys feel about the power of your words. We're not a name it, claim it church. You know, so that, that whole theological stream of the 80s or whenever that all happened that we're not like well you know if you're poor and you don't drive a Rolls Royce then you got sin in your life that is not that that was an extreme imbalanced perspective in the church world years and years ago but that doesn't mean that the power of your words aren't important 
the word of God tells us that, that God has put the power of life and death in your tongue. You and I were, were created in the image of God. He made you in his own image and in his own likeness. So he is the one who spoke and the worlds were created. With one word, Jesus could make a, a broken person whole. With one word, the dead were raised. There is power in your words. Your life is now hidden in Christ. Jesus lives in you. You are seated with him in the heavenly realm. Like your identity as a Christian is not of this world. You are a stranger and an alien in this world, in the, in the eyes of the kingdom. You may not look in the mirror every morning and think, I'm not a part of this world anymore. You're just like, no, it's me. I'm going to work, you know, whatever. I got to take care of kids, stuff. You know, I got to do my things. But, but the higher reality, the higher truth is you are in Christ. Your life is hidden in Jesus. If you're a believer, you're hidden deep in him. And he lives inside of you, which is maybe an easier reality to get your, your brain around. That's still kind of hard sometimes, thinking that I'm carrying Jesus everywhere I go. But you are also seated with him right now in the heavenly realm. He calls you brother or sister. He is our brother king, and he has reconciled us to his father, who is now our father. And his inheritance is now our inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. We talked about all that last week. So back to this. The message that we speak, what we declare about God in our circumstances, how that all lines up, how we believe about things we're looking at and, and lined up with what we actually believe. Hopefully, the goal is to become more in unity with your beliefs, like your experience, the way you think, will, will more and more come into unity, inner unity with the truth. Something we just talked to Teresa more recently, and something she had said to us on the phone was, It's always about your response. So, what's our response to things? Is our response what what's, that would be our message? Are we going to live a message of defeat all the time, or are we going to live a message of victory? So, and that really stuck with me about it's always about your response. Always. So, how will, how will we respond? How will we speak about ourselves when we look in the mirror? Our, our health, our finances, everything. Our relationships with people. How will we speak about what God is doing and, and what he thinks about us and how he feels about us? You know, it's all, they're good questions to ask ourselves. So the message we declare defines the reality we are going to live in. Steve Backlund says, I love this, if I can quote him right, it was kind of just hitting my brain. It's not that you get things just because you say it, or it's not that things will happen just because you say it, but things won't happen until someone says something. That... You either don't believe that or you do. Or you're like, I'm starting to believe that. Yeah. Just because I say to my dad's chest when I lay hands on him after bad, a bad report that your, your heart valve is going bad. 
after already being replaced once. And I put my hands on his chest with Tammy, and we begin to speak. We begin to declare, we command your heart to come into perfect working alignment. We, we command your arteries, whatever, your valves to be restored. We speak life into your body. Now, just because I said it doesn't mean it's going to happen. But if we wouldn't have said it, I don't know if it would have happened. If we wouldn't have gotten there and laid our hands on him and spoke, that is why our, our job, our privilege as believers is to min- be ministers. Like you are a priest. We are all a part of the ministry. It's not just Tammy and Scott up here and whoever else comes up and speaks. We're not just the ministers. The Bible says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a priesthood. Not just like the Old Testament priest, but you are a royal priesthood because you have the royalty of Jesus covering your life. You have royal regal authority as a son and daughter, but you're also a priest. So back to that. What we proclaim, what we confess, the message we carry, that defines who we are and how we think. I would challenge you guys, and if you don't have Steve Backlund's books, and we need to get more, you know, the declarations books, victorious mindsets, um, begin to make declarations. Write your own declarations. Go through scriptures and read the promises and the things that God says about what a Christian should have as an inheritance, as, as your rights as sons and daughters. Because the Bible says that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So if all of his promises are yes and amen in him, and you're in him, that means you can pull on all those promises with your yes, your agreement, and your amen. So I would encourage you to, to speak those things, speak the truth. That's why I love worship. Worship is powerful. Even if we're not singing directly to him, we're just declaring truth over ourselves and over our lives, our circumstances. It shifts things. There is power in our worship. Not only because our words are declaring truth and and heaven is responding to our declaration, not just because of that, although that is like a vital part of it, also because the word of God tells us that he indwells our praises. He, He inhabits the praises of his people. He is enthroned on them. So praise is just like, it's like opening up the floodgate of heaven and you are now a pipeline. As you declare and speak and sing and worship, pray in tongues, all of that stuff that comes out of your mouth is like the river of heaven flowing down straight through you and out of your mouth. You are a sprinkler. You are a wellspring of life. You are a source for living water to flow through. Okay, so here's a foundational reality. God is good, period. More questions and concerns arise today over the subject of the goodness of God than almost any other topic. This conflict reveals a deep personal need in the body of Christ to see Jesus for who he really is and experience his finished work. See, that's a key right there. We need to know fully what the finished work of Jesus on the cross really was for. It was to redeem you of your sins, to forgive you of your sins. It was to reconcile you to God. But it was also to give you a new, excuse me, a new identity, a new ID, and to infuse you with a new DNA. The Bible says that you are partakers of the divine nature. 
the very divine nature of God himself is infused inside of you when you become a Christian because of what Jesus did. And through that, receiving the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption, of sonship, of divine DNA coming into you, through that, you are now on a process of being transformed into the image of Jesus so that you can do the same works Jesus did. And that's, that's where this is all going. All right, Ethan's going to move us forward. We're doing good on time too, but you guys doing okay with your sitting on those hard plastic seats? You can always stand up and shake a little bit if you need to. Okay, so this is 1 John chapter... Yeah, if you need to kind of wiggle around. If your left cheek falls asleep and you're just like... Anyway, okay. So this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. I know this is church. We should be more serious. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's of righteousness, peace, and seriousness. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy. Third of the kingdom is joy. Man, why don't Christians laugh more? We need to loosen the heck up before I start saying other things. Loosen the heck up. Okay, so here we go. First John 4. Just soak this in, you guys. Okay, soak in the word. Those who are loved by God... Let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God. Wow. So again, God is love and everyone who is fathered by God experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God. For God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. That is the key, so that we might live through him. So he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. He wants to father you, and he is love. He is not judgment personified. He is not the wrath of God personified. God is love. Yes, he has wrath that he's revealed in the scriptures and he has poured out that wrath on his one and only son when he was on the cross to deal with the object of wrath, which is namely our sins, the sins of the world. He has to punish sin and he he poured it out on Christ on the cross. But God is love. So let's go on to the next one. Uh, 1 John 4, oh, the rest of the scripture. 1 John 4, 7 through 10, so the verse, uh, looks like verse 10. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. So what does that tell you? You can't screw this up. If he loved you first before you even thought of loving him, before you even thought of saying something good towards him, maybe you were just full of curses and bitterness towards God because you were ignorant and blinded, Maybe you denied his existence. The fact is, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. And that is what this represents. When we take communion this morning, 
when we worship and we, we hold the bread and the, and the juice, and I could have got away with putting wine in the cups today because you know, I don't think anyone would be offended here. But we've got to be safe. Don't want to be a stumbling block. But when we hold the bread and the, and the wine, when we hold those elements before him in worship today, we are declaring his sacrifice that has removed our sins. We are declaring his proving of his love and commitment to us. He is the first one to say, I do. In this marriage relationship with Jesus, when we are coming into union with Jesus, he is the first one to say, I do. Is that what happens in, in a wedding? Is it, who does it first? Is it the man or the woman? Come on, who knows a recent wedding? Who gives their vow first? I think it might be the guy. I don't know. Well, anyway, in this case, Jesus said it first. He said, I am in this all the way for you. What will your response to me be? So let's go on to the next one. Man, we're like nailing this out. I still got 18 minutes. We won't even use up the whole 35 minutes. You're like, 35? Should have been 25 or 20. So some more quotes, but these are good. This is good stuff. Having a, uh, not a relationship, having a revelation of the goodness of God is probably one of the most important revelations we can have as believers. Many people enter the kingdom with fear and trepidation. And I, I hate to tell you guys, but I feel like a huge portion of the body of Christ, and you may know people that are there, they're stuck in fear and trepidation thinking that they need to accept Christ in order to just get out of hell. Like, the fear of the flames is so on their heels that they are driven to God through fear and trepidation. I really don't know what trepidation means. Come on, Marilyn, you would know. Okay, so fear times 100. Okay, so you are just totally locked up in it. Okay. Oh, you already moved on? Oh, no. Okay, so let's go on. Oh, wait, wait. No, don't go on. I didn't finish. So fear and trepidation, thinking they need to accept Christ to escape hell, when the reality is we have a good father waiting to welcome us into the family. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we were going through this whole theme on family the, the importance of king, a kingdom mindset that the church is family, that the Trinity is family, that God's relationship towards us is a family. He's a father. He's not a taskmaster and a slave driver. He is father God. He is daddy. He is papa God. Try it in your own time. Just start to talk to him with the intimate words of a, of a young child. Just curl up in him in his presence on your on your own and just lose yourself in his love for you because he first loved you you didn't do anything to earn his love and you can't do anything to unearn it what what is important is that you're in a relationship with him and you receive his love and you allow him and his love to change who you are but the focus is not on you changing and you becoming perfect the focus is your eyes are on Jesus. He is the object of our faith. He is the one who our, our eyes are locked on, and we follow him. We follow the lamb wherever he goes. 
He will clean you up. You don't have to get introspective, navel-gazing, worrying about, is there a sin in me? What did I do? Did I do something? How come no one's here today? Well, there's, you guys aren't no one. You know, how come there's a bunch of people missing? Did I do something? Did I, you know, whatever. Are my finances in shambles because, well, yeah, maybe it is because I did something. But you know what I'm saying? Like, is my health bad right now because of my sin? That's, that is a big one. If that's the case, then Jesus would have had to address the sin in every single person that he healed if their sin was the cause. And that whole question came up with the disciples. Who's, not with the disciples, but someone asked him, whose sin was it that that man was born blind, his or his parents? They, everyone wants to correlate your performance and your, your status in the righteousness stairway towards perfection with God when all that is is self-righteousness and we need to lose it all and bury ourselves in Christ. That is the reality of where we are at. We are in him. We are perfectly declared, perfectly righteous in Christ. You cannot add to it. Yes, you are in process, but the focus is where you're already at. Yes, you're all, you're all in process. The man's vows come first. Okay. There you go. Jesus was the first to say, I do. He is the bridegroom. And it gives her an extra minute to decide whether or not she really wants to say <laughs> yes to the commitment. I look at the ladies in the room. There's no ladies over there. Okay. So we're going to blast through. Did you already move it? He did. Ethan, you are like, these guys have learned a new trick. They feel like, well, if I just jump to the next slide for him, then I will force this thing to get over with. <laughs> You're a good son. That's right. Honesty personified. Okay. So God is more often blamed. So th this is the other thing. This is the other struggle in this world because God is good and if he is good and he is love then that should that should be the filter or the lens that we look at stuff on earth through so God is more often blamed for the tragedy in the world than he is given credit for like the beautiful creation we see around us daily in the landscape when you go to Hawaii and you're on the beach and you're just like what a mighty God we serve can I just live here forever? The landscape, in a kind word spoken, when someone says something that just almost makes you want to cry, or in your neighbor, or in ourselves, you know, when you see the good things that God has placed inside of you, when you stop looking in your navel and picking out all the lint, and you start to actually say, well, okay, God, you, you did give me nice eyes. People keep telling me that, so why can't I just be okay with it? Why do I got to cancel every compliment someone gives me? Cancel culture. We got to stop canceling the stuff that people say to us yeah. that are compliments. I am bad with that. I, and, and really, it's just false humility because we're just uncomfortable. But anyway, okay. So God is more blamed for the bad stuff than when all the good things happen. In the book that Paul Manwaring wrote, and this is a really good book. It's a small book. It's his journey through his uh, prostate cancer 
The book is called Kisses from a Good God. And he says in the book, God did not send, I should say it with a British accent, God did not send cancer to teach us a lesson. He sent Jesus to teach cancer a lesson. Amen. So remember that. The next time someone says, well, you know, God gave me this cancer because he's trying to teach me something, how to persevere, how to trust him more. Bull, pucky. <laughs> you know, again, this is church, but we take ourselves way too serious. I'm not going to say BS. I'm not going to, for shock effect. Okay, but I'm just saying, we need to not, like, this is the sacred space, but once we go out there, we can say whatever we want or think whatever we want or take off our mask and then just blend right in. So just be who you are, the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> Don't resurrect the dead man out of the, with the water grave that he should have been baptized and buried in. Okay, I have to preach sometimes, I'm sorry. So God really is good, always. I'll say it again. God is good, really good, always, 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 always. He does not change. His goodness is real and it is true and it is thicker than honey. It is everlasting and his love towards you, I believe his love towards us, his love, when you dis discover what his love really is, it is like the definition of the goodness of God described. So his love absolutely never fails. His heart for us, for his entire creation, to come into a knowledge of his love and goodness. Let's go to the next one. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's the Passion Translation. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. So, quick pause. God didn't tell us this list of what love is so that you have to try to live up to it. He, he gave us this list of what the description of what agape love really is because that is who he is and that is what he wants to express through us in large, incredible patience, gentleness, kind to all, refusing to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. So we can just take a deep breath and relax and just be yourself. Don't have to be something that you're not. Love does not traffic in shame. Love does not traffic in shame. So if love does not traffic in shame, then I break shame off this morning. I command shame off of ourselves, off of our brains, off of our experience. Shame is not your portion as, what was that scripture, I, Isaiah 61? I sent you that verse the other day. Your, your portion is a double portion, a double portion of what God has for you. Shame is not your portion, it's a double portion. Where did I stop? Love does not brag, oh, yeah, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. And remember that when you feel like, did I make you mad, God? Did I, because I cussed at that driver in front of me who is going so slow in the left lane and I'm getting so irritated, but that doesn't match up with you. So now are you irritated with me? Are you mirroring my nature, God? Are you quick to take offense because I am? Is that how you feel about me or is it the reverse? Let's go on to the rest of this portion. 
Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter. A, a safe place of shelter. You can run into the arms of love 24-7. He is a safe place of shelter. And he wants to turn your life and your heart into a safe place of shelter for people to come and find refuge in you. And then you can take their hand and put it in his hand and say, he is the source of this. He is the source of it all. Safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. See, that's, that's so important in this culture of honor that we want to have this honor that flows in the family of God, the, the heavenly triune Godhead, honor flowing there, creating such unity in, in the sense of family with different roles, but not, not fighting over who does what, but just perfect unity, perfect relationship displayed for us. So where was I going with that? Honor. And that is the key for us to walk in that. Love never takes failure as, okay, back up. Love never stops believing the best for others. If all I do is wait for you to make a mistake and then I disqualify you, that is not love. Love never takes failure as defeat, okay? Failure is not defeat for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. So let's go on to the next one. We're half an hour invested into this and we're almost done. Why'd you point at that? Oh, yeah, I was just looking at it too. This reminds me of us at home. <clears throat> okay, back to 1 John chapter 4. Now we're going to move down to the end towards of that chapter, verse 16 through 18. God is love. Again, God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Again, fearlessly face judgment. God wants to remove that whole dimension out of your mind, out of your thinking, out of your relationship with him so that you are so, so putting all your cards on the table of the cross. That's a weird description, but he wants you to bank it all on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and not move away from that. Because once we move away from that, once we, we don't see Jesus as paying it all fully, that it's by grace that we're saved, then we begin to try to own the responsibility of working, and then we turn into a performance-based relationship with God. And that turns into fear. Am I, did I perform enough? Am I really going to face judgment, or am I going to be in heaven? So, so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment, because all that Jesus right now is in, this, in heaven, so are we in this world. Because we are in him and he lives in us. Love never brings fear. For fear is always related to punishment. Another reason to get that book, unpunishable. Fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear 
of punishment far from our hearts. So if you want to get fear out of your life, get immersed in the love of God. Immerse yourself in the love of God. Paul prayed that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would know and that you would experience the height and the depth and the width and the length, the breadth of the love of God for you in Christ. It is like an ocean. You can drown in it. You cannot run out of room to swim in it. His love for you is, it's huge. It's, you can't measure it. So whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. See how it flows between you and God and then from you to others? It comes from here, from heaven into earth, and from the heaven you carry within you into the earth again. Okay, next one. Ah, I thought this was fun. You guys get a a Scott and Tammy quote. And I thought, oh, this is cute, because Tammy's like, I was like, you know, it's a choice to, to believe in the goodness of God and really run with it. And Tammy's like, you don't have to believe in his goodness. You get to. It's true. You don't have to believe in it. This, is a gonna, this church is going to be a church that emphasizes the goodness of God. That's why it's one of our core values, kingdom values that we want to hold high. Because how we see God and his goodness and the immeasurableness of his goodness is going to affect how you believe about him, yourself, others, and circumstances, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect how you represent him in the earth. And the last thing I want as a, as a pastor in a church, as a church leader, is that our people are walking through the city carrying this suspicion looking under every rock. What sin are you entangled in? You know, we are not called by God to be sin inspectors, to go diagnose people's issues. We are called to prophesy and to call them into a relationship with the Father. We, as Paul said, we have been given the the great commission as ambassadors of Christ to go and implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Oh, and then I had a quote, too. I thought, I'll add one, too. Why not? So, in my opinion, so this is just opinion, complaining and doubt and fear are the opposite spirit of thanksgiving, faith, and love. One is rooted in God's goodness, while the other is doubting his goodness in a specific area of belief. So, if you're doubting his goodness or you're trapped with fear over something, ask yourself, or not ask yourself, ask God. You can talk to yourself too. You're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. But talk to God and say, God, is there a, where is this fear coming from? Where is this doubt coming from? Why am I complaining about this? If I'm complaining about this, what am I believing about it? Am I believing that you're really not that good in my workplace? Because I've been a barrier instead of a pipeline? I'm just throwing some thoughts out there. All right, so we're done with that. And we went into negative 20 seconds. So 35 minutes. You guys are good. You're strong. Endurance. The fruit of the Spirit. Patience. You have exhibited it patiently today with gracious measures. So we're going to worship. So you guys stand back up. And we're just going to dive in. We're just going to just lose yourself in worship. 
And again, you know, it's not fussy church. Just if you want to move around, walk around during worship, right about towards the end, I'll, I'll just do a quick, hey, come grab your communion. And then you take communion at your own leisure. When you just have some fellowship with God and then take it together, take it with your spouse if you want, or take it with a friend, or just take it by yourself, whatever you want to do. Just, just, and I would encourage you when you take that representation of his body and his blood, Jesus said, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you do not have life in you. So when we eat that bread and we drink that cup, we are receiving the, the flesh. We are receiving the body and blood of Christ Jesus, which is our life. It, it's, that is a bizarre picture. I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But that is what Jesus said. Hold it over any area of your life you need breakthrough. If you need healing in your body, hold that before God and declare your healing. Speak over your situation, over your brain, over your thought patterns about him or yourself or whatever it is. Hold the cross before him and bury that thing in Jesus. All right, let's worship.